18 before 7. Tommy Tucker, WWL. Mike Strain joins us, Commissioner Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry. How you doing, Mike? Man, I am doing great. It's going to be a great day today. I'm headed to Crowley yeah. for the Area 4 meeting on salt and water conservation. So it's going to be a beautiful day to drive. Big rice area, Crowley. Is that right or not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Huge in rice. And rice, you know, if you look at rice, rice is about a half a billion, $500 million a year. And we've been producing rice here, actually in the Crowley area, since the Civil War. Before the Civil War, it was focused in South Carolina. During the war, all the infrastructure got destroyed. And uh, Dr. Dalrymple from LSU went to Iowa to bring down German farmers to raise wheat. They brought them all down, and wheat didn't grow so well. So, well, let's try this other thing called rice. So they brought in some rice out of the Carolinas, and hence a whole new industry began, and it's it's huge. We're doing a lot. We're doing a lot of work, actually, at the Lacassine facility, uh, where we the, the 200 farmers got together and built a rice mill and an export facility. We're working at the Port of Lake Charles, also to expand the markets. The market for rice is going to be strong, and it's going to continue to grow. and And it's just it's a wonderful part of the culture, but it is a solid agricultural entity, and it will be there, you know, for many generations to come. That is how this gigantic rice industry in Louisiana started, because Germans came down to plant wheat, and it didn't work. That's exactly right. And wow. Dr. Dalrymple, you've seen Dalrymple sure. drive in Baton Rouge, yeah. went up and recruited them to come down into the plains. Because remember, that was the beginning of the Great Plains. That's where it begins. It begins, you know, in and around Crowley. It didn't work. And what had happened is that it was, it was called Carolina Gold. They brought that down. And Carolina's got the rice because the ship headed to Madagascar, got into trouble, and had to d- come in and dock. And it had rice seed on board, and the captain left a few pounds of rice seed there at the port with the, for, with the people, you know, thanking them for the help. And that what began the rice in the Carolinas. And so, yeah, this, it's amazing what history will do. This right here is why we love having Mike Strain on. You know, Mike, as we talk about this, it makes me think, and I, and I was thinking about this the other day in an unrelated matter, that maybe we don't spend enough time teaching the kids Louisiana history. What do you think? Oh, we don't. History is fascinating. You know, and my family has been here multiple generations, and I love to read Louisiana history. And you say, wait, that was cousin so-and-so, or now I really understand the truth about what happened. You know, there's so much true history that goes on, especially, you know, we've been here and we're all part of the culture, and, and it's, it's tremendous, and it's fascinating. You know, if you're going to read one book, read The Pirate Lafitte. Read that. And it talks about how, you know, Napoleonville and a lot of these other areas, that's when he got, you know, they were chasing him in New Orleans. He'd go and bring his pirate goods there and start off. The little town started as a trading post, you know, for, for him to move his wares. And there's so much history that you can get from these books. Then you can understand how we got to where we are today. And, again, you drive around and you see a town in the middle of somewhere, and it's like, why? How did? and that always makes me wonder, how did this get started? Who decided to live here and why? And there's your answer right there. That's What's right. the name of the book? That's right. Yep, uh, The Pirates Lafitte by Jean Lafitte. All right. Um, let's talk about seafood. Mike Lent is here. How's that crawfish crop oh, looking? Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, look, it's good. I love Lent. You know, when you know Mardi Gras is incredible, and it's, you know that's kind of the prelude to where we're headed. So the crawfish is going to be really nice. But now is the time. Oysters, crawfish. You know, yesterday for lunch I had some fried catfish, and I can tell you there's nothing better than Louisiana and U.S. catfish. 
And so for Lent, I think the crawfish are going to be great. You know, we've gotten some good weather. It's warming up. We're going to stay warm. So I think they're going to be very plentiful. And it's time to enjoy. You know, I tell everybody, when you borrow those crawdaddies, get some Louisiana sweet potatoes. And I was with the Bajeron family. I was a judge for Mardi Gras there in New Roads. And, they, man, they've got their pecans. That's rocking and rolling. Of course, you know, during Lent, getting ready for Easter, you've got to have those Louisiana pecans. We are truly, truly blessed. And it's time to celebrate. And you can see from the Mardi Gras celebrations, everybody is ready. And you can no better way, friends and family, to have that crawfish ball. And look, that shrimp ball. To bring over. When's the last time you went and got a sack or a half a sack of oysters and brought mm. everybody around? Mm. So it's, it's, it's time. I, you know, for us, there's nothing better you know, socially than to get together with a really nice crawfish bar. We used to do it every night before Thanksgiving, open a sack of oysters and eat some and save some and just talk and drink beer, and it was a great night. And it sometimes be yeah. cold, most of the time be cold outside, so you're, you're a little bundled up, and it was just a fun, good Louisiana time. Mike, is there My a difference? My dad would be get those oysters. Yeah, is there? Yeah, we one, farmed in Lower Plaquemine. One thing I learned is that there's a big difference between putting a sack of oysters into a trunk and taking them out. When you put them in, gravity is your friend when you put them in. When you take them out, not so much. Somebody texted well, you know, in. Gravity, Go ahead. Gravity gets to be your enemy more and more with every year you get older, too. You know, when we were younger, it didn't seem like so much. Now it's, it's, it seems like it's a little heavier. This is true. Somebody texted in and wants to know about different types of crawfish from different regions. Is there so such a thing? I know they used to say Bell River crawfish were the dark, dark red ones, but is that true or not? Yeah, there are several different types. You know, you have the, the, the you have the swamp crawfish, and you you know you have the Bell River crawfish. Uh, most of our crawfish, over ninety percent, are the farmed crawfish, which you're looking at. So you have you basically you have the crawfish that are farmed, and most of that is in quote rice country. You know, so you know when we we re, we have rice in the rice fields, and then what happens is that after we harvest the rice, they're flooded again, and then that's the vegetation that the crawfish feed on. So they are very well fed. Then you have, quote, the swamp-type crawfish. So you can tell the difference. When you get crawfish from the ponds, they are, they're very uniform. Uh, their shells are not quite as hard. If you, there's a lot of more color variation in the ones that you get from the swamps. And so we have a lot of them from the basin. And, of course, you know, different times of the year depends on, you know, whether they're fishing on the east side or the west side. There is a difference. Uh, and so, but look, I like all types. It's a huge industry, but over 90% are farmed crawfish. And it is amazing because one pregnant female that they put will produce a sack of crawfish. Think about that. Oh, they're tramps. Crawfish are tramps, Mike. You know that. They just. Thank goodness. The, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, and thank goodness. Uh, if I blindfolded you, could you tell the difference between a, a farm-raised or swamp-caught crawfish? Yeah, you could? I could. I could. Yeah, well, because, yeah, I've handled so many of them. The, generally, if you feel them, the shells are thinner on the farm-raised crawfish. But what about if it was peeled? Yeah. I'm talking about the taste, and, and somebody gave it to you. I think I probably could, uh, because if you, look, if, you, if you taste the farm-raised crawfish, uh, they're, they're very, very, very uniform. If you taste the ones that come from... You know the the wild. They 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 have a more. They have a little stronger taste, uh, maybe a little bit stronger texture. But you can tell. And some people prefer you know either one. But I like them all. Uh, it's weights and measures week. This is something that Mike Strains office does. A lot of people don't realize this. 
And, like, you want to make sure you're getting a full gallon of gasoline, right? He also went to the ports. We'll talk about that. I'm getting a lot of questions about crawfish and preparation and purging and washing and so forth. We'll pass them along. We love talking to Mike Strain, Commissioner Louisiana Department of Agriculture and Forestry. We inevitably learn something, and that's always fun to do. More when we return, 651, 9 till 7, traffic now on WWL. 656, 4 till 7, Tommy Tucker, WWL, talking to our good friend Mike Strain, Commissioner Louisiana, Department of Agriculture and Forestry. Mike, somebody texted in and said, please, please, please ask Mike Strain to run for governor. And um, I think the response is going to be, I don't need it. What is your response, Mike? Well, you know, a lot of people continue to push me to run for governor, but, you know, I've still got a tremendous amount of work to do as commissioner. You know, as commissioner of agriculture, I can, you know, I do things in a very bipartisan fashion. Mm -hmm. So I'm responsible to feed Louisiana and America and rural development. And so I work with governors. I continue to work with governors. And, I, and I, you know, for the person that called, I thank them for their confidence. But I still have a job to do here. Uh, and so and it's a, there's a tremendous amount of things that we do do. But I appreciate that. But I'm running for re-election, and of course, I'm asking you and everybody else for your vote. Believe it or not, I do run, and that is going to be in October. Mike, somebody texted in about crawfishing on side of the road, and we used to do this when we were kids, like off Highway 90. I forget the safety aspects of it with the highway because that is something very much to be concerned with. But should you eat crawfish that you catch in a dish from like runoff of streets and fields and all that stuff? Well, you know, between you and I, I'd rather get them from a pond or out from the middle of the Atchafalaya yeah. or, you know, Bayou Bonfica, wherever you're going to go. You know, when you're dealing with the, the runoff from a street, you have to remember everything, every bit of oil, any type of cement, anything could be in there. So, you know, just from a health point of view, I would get them from, you know, from our, you know, our wildlands and also from the ponds. I probably would not really, it's like eating catfish in a ditch that's on the side of the yeah. interstate. You know, anything that's on that interstate, you know, can go into there. And so, I, you know, in the short term, it's probably not going to be a problem. But in the long term, I, I wouldn't. We were, do, we were doing know, it. I one, would go, there's plenty of, plenty of marsh. One time in Booty, a long time ago before it had even developed, they used to have an old Sinclair station there, and we were crawfishing off the side of 90. And right down the road from the nets, we saw a huge... Uh, animal, a piece of roadkill in the ditch, and that was it. We packed up and went home. Tell me real quick about Waiting and Measures Week. And, and you guys, you're the ones that drive around with the little tanks in the back of the trucks, like right, checking the gas that's, pumps? That's correct. I'm also the commissioner of the Office of Metrology, Weights, Measures, and Standards, and it's a huge part of what we do. And, you know, Weights and Measures began under President John Adams in 1799. The laws of Weights and Measures are the oldest laws in antiquity and go back to the founding of the Arab republics, I'm back to you know in, in that part in time, and so it's been a part of commerce, you know, since the beginning of laws, and it's very, very, very important. So you know, what is an ounce? What is a what is a pound? What is a gallon? What is a gallon of gasoline? You know, what is you know a sack of oysters? All of those things, and we're responsible for that to make sure that you get what you are paying for, and for the orderly conduction of, of commerce. And I have a, a team of over sixty inspectors. So most commonly, you think about the trucks that are there at the gas station, making sure you're getting a gallon. But we also check in the octane, checking for water. We'll go in, we'll check the scales. We will check, you know, make sure that the scanning devices, when you check out things, are accurate. You know, we'll get a quart of oil off the shelves, bring it back to the lab, and make sure that it's motor oil and meets the national standards. So we're very, very busy. We have a, 
you know, a, a metrology lab. And what's amazing, we have the state standards. 